right. It is good, again, to uh, look at God's Word and continue in our series in the book of Psalms. And if you have a Bible, why don't you turn with me uh, to Psalm 130. Uh, this is pro- probably my favorite psalm in the whole Psalter, um, which is a lot of psalms. And um, I'm going to spend two weeks in it just because I love it so much. <laughs> so you get two weeks of it uh, over the next couple weeks. But, um, but I don't know about you, if you've ever been in a situation where you needed help, like you're, you're, des- like you're incredibly desperate. Um, in, in a kind of a silly way, there was a time in my life I was in college and uh, my friend and I, one of my best friends at the time, and I mean continued a close relationship, uh, over the years, uh, he was in his old, I don't know if any of you ever had a Camaro. He had a, when I say old, like not like 67 Camaro, but, um, but uh, uh, like, a nine, like a late, like a 90s, 89, I think it was like an 89 Camaro. And uh, this thing was always trouble. And so I didn't, my first year in college, I didn't have a car on campus, so I was very dependent on my good friend who had his nice little Camaro. And so one day we were uh, riding in the car. Uh, to, I forgot where we were going, um, but we were riding down the road and it was just pouring down rain. Well, one of the, the features, of the, one of the nice features of his car was that the windshield wipers did not work. And so these windshield wipers aren't working. He doesn't have some nice fancy Rain X on it or something like that. And, uh, and so we're riding and literally I'm in the seat. I roll the window down and I'm le- leaning out the window, getting just pelted by rain, trying to tell him, like, stay in the lane. I'm, like, telling him where to go. Like, being really, really like a college student in that moment. Uh, I think I was a freshman, so I was, like, 18, 19. And I'm trying to guide him, and he's just listening to me. I mean, like, it was one of the, like, not the wisest moments of either one of our lives is me sticking my head out a window while it's pouring down rain, trying to tell him who is driving where to, like, okay, a little more right, a little more left, a little more right. And then I'm like, no, no, left, right, left. And then boom, we go off the bank and down into this, this in, like a media, in between the median where it's like a grassy one and it was down low and just crashes his Camaro. Uh, and so we're, and we're like, not fully crashed, like you're just kind of off the road a little bit because we weren't like flying. I mean, thankfully, we weren't that dumb, you know, we were a little bit, we had a little bit of sense still. And so uh, in that moment though, we get down in and we're just like, this Camaro is not built to get out of this situation. And he's just spinning those tires and the deeper and deeper those tires are getting into this muddy uh, area and we're just stuck. And so naturally, I don't know about you, if you have that person that you're going to call when you're in need of help, well, I was in college. My dad was four hours away. Like, who I call was my dad. If I needed anything, my dad would show up. In that moment, though, I'm like, he's not going to show up in time. Like, I can't call him. I can't reach out to my dad. I, we need to someone else. And so eventually, they're like, there's always AAA. You know, if you have AAA, that's a great thing. But we didn't have AAA either. So we got stuck there for a long time until finally we got a hold of someone with my little cricket phone, you know, at the time. You know, these little big, big old uh, antennas on it, not these cool smartphones that we have today. And so finally get a hold of someone. We have bad reception, all this stuff. Finally, someone comes and rescues and comes to our rescue. But usually, here's the question, here's the thing, and I want us to see this in this psalm. Um, what we normally do in a desperate moment is we cry out for what? We cry out for what? We cry out for help, right? We're calling for help. We're like, you know, like for instance, when you, when you uh, sign up your kids or you sign up for something, oftentimes what do you have? You have an emergency contact. So if there is an emergency, contact who? Usually it's my wife. Like, contact her. Like, if it's a kid problem, let's call her. She's going to be the one who's going to handle it. 
Um, but you put emergency contacts down, and you're going to cry. Like, when there's a desperate need or when you're going to cry out, right, you're going to, whether you're in a really a big pickle or you're in a, a scary situation, you're probably going to maybe even call 911 and reach out to them to help you. I don't know if you've ever been in, like, a real place of desperation, not just like a Camaro on the side of the road, but in a moment in your life where you're like, I'm stuck. Everything in my life, not even just in my life, but in my spiritual life, maybe you first started recognizing your sin and the desperate need of forgiveness. I think all of us probably have gotten to a point where you're like, you know what, I need to be forgiven. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, man, in my life, there's so much in my life. There's so much struggle. There's so much, ultimately, maybe sin that you're looking at your life and you're like, I am stuck in despair. Where you get to that place of despair and shame over an, a, 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 maybe a sin or maybe it's your relationship with God. You're like, how could I ever meet God's standard? And all of a sudden, you feel in the depths and this psalm begins with this, and I want us to read it together. Uh, I'm not going to ask my wife or my kids to quote it to you. We've been working on memorizing this uh, this week, and I would really encourage you to memorize these verses. They're a great, it's a great psalm. It's eight verses. We're going to spend two weeks in it, so feel free to have it memorized by next week, and I'll call on someone. I'm just kidding. I won't call on anyone. Um, but Psalm 130, it starts with these words. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. You think about that. He's saying, out of the depths, I cried to you, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. I mean, he is in the depths. And what we see in the depths for him is he's, he sees something about himself and he recognizes that he's in the depths. That's a phrase that's used in Scripture often, actually. I asked my, my, middle, my youngest son, I asked him, what do you think that reminds you of? I was, when we were working on that verse this week, I said, what is, the, what is that word depths? When you think of out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord, because it's one of his favorite uh, stories in the Bible. And I asked him, I was wondering, would he pick up on it or not? And I asked him and he said, that kind of reminds me of, of Jonah. And I'm like, exactly. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Have you ever been, I mean, isn't that one of the most scary, I, I, have, I have this certain dream, I don't know if you've ever had these kind of dreams, right, where it's like, you're, you're like screaming, but it's like no one can hear you. Maybe I'm the only terrified person or something like that. Like, you're, you're like, I, 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 like it's, a, it's a scary thing when you're, when you're like, I'm talking, but it, nothing's coming out, like I'm crying out. And so here he's in the depths, it's like he's, like he's in a sinkhole, or he's in like the ocean, and he is swallowed up with this, and he says, out of the depths, I cried to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. And then he continues, he says, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. He's crying out and he's like, hear me. Can you hear my cries? Because I need you. I need help. And, if, and here's what I want you to see with your first point. If you're taking notes, is this. If you want to see, because I love this psalm. It's a song of a sense, as we've been seeing in our series. We've been just looking at the, a specific collection of 15 psalms within the Psalter um, <clears throat> that were these 
pilgrim songs. As the Israelites were journeying on their way for several different feasts, when they would go to Jerusalem to worship, to celebrate, to offer sacrifices, and to give of their offerings, they would be on their journey, and this would be like their playlist of songs that they would sing to one another on their journey. And as they're journeying, as they're on their journey, they would sing these different songs. And they were called Song of Ascents because they're ascending up towards the mountains that surround Jerusalem. And I think of this psalm as not just a, 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 a song of ascent, but like an, a literal song of ascent from the very depths to the mountain of God's forgiveness. And really in this psalm, we see the only path to forgiveness and getting out of the depths of despair. And the first step that you need to take in the path to forgiveness is this, is one is this, is to understand your need for forgiveness. To understand your need for forgiveness. Here, the psalmist in Psalm 130, if you have it in front of you, I'd encourage you again to bring your Bibles and to look at it or look at God's word with me. He says, out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. He is in this, we're we learning really quickly from this psalmist, he's in a place of deep, dark, like a deep, dark valley. But what he's seeing is something beyond that. He's seeing that it's not just a deep, dark valley as in like this is a trial, right? I think all of us have experienced trials. We've experienced hardships where it feels like you're in a deep, dark place. Maybe mentally you get to a deep, dark place in your mind and you're like, I don't know if we can ever do this. I mean, I've, I, to be really honest, I get there sometimes, like of like through a situation, whether it's in raising your kids or in your relationships or work and life and those things, and you're just like, I don't know if I can continue in this anymore. Have you ever gotten to that place of like, I don't know what to do? Here, though, the psalmist is not, I want to make this clear, the psalmist is not talking about a trial. He's not talking about a difficult situation that he's stuck in. Not like me and the Camaro on the side of the road. No, he's talking about his own soul. He's talking about his heart condition before God. And he's saying, I am in the depths of what we see is, because he he goes on in verse three, look what he says. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. So he starts quickly transitioning to talking about sin, iniquities, this not meeting the standard of God and sinning by not doing what he said or avoiding something that we should be doing. And here he's saying that sin is what has led him to the depths. So here this, this psalmist, as he writes, he's in the depths and he's crying out. But I think it's something interesting about the depths is this, and I don't know if you've noticed it. This is, this is what I believe almost every person who's genuinely going to give their life to the Lord and, and accept him as their Lord and Savior and pursue him with their life. They come to a place like this. And, and, and I think it's so important for us to see because sometimes, and this, is what I, this isn't your notes, we could feel free to write down, but I think sometimes God's mercy, uh, in God's mercy, he allows you to be in the depths. He allows you to be in a very, very difficult place. Maybe it's, it is trials, different things like that, that awaken you. But he's saying, but I think it's this, is sometimes in God's mercy, he allows you to be in the depths to give you the power to cry out to him. Because maybe, you know, when, you're, when life's going well, you don't need it in your head, you think this. Like, when, when life's going okay, I don't, I, why would I need God? I mean, my life's good. You don't realize God's with you through the good times, right, and the bad. 
But in the good times, there's no, there's no, quote, need of him. But when you get to a place of like, oh no, my, the weight of my sin is on my shoulders, like in Pilgrim's Progress with John Bunyan as he writes. And in that story, you see the weight of the burden and it just continues to get heavier and heavier on Christian as he's on his journey trying to get to the celestial city, this picture of heaven. And he's on this journey and he's carrying this weight and it's this baggage is bearing on him so heavily that he doesn't think he can continue anymore. I think so many of us, the weight of our sin, we need to feel it. Not just think about it, not wonder about it, and like think, oh man, how God, how you're, you're this, we sing these songs like, his mercy is more. When we sing that song, does that, does that wreck your heart? Like, God's, my sins are many, but yet his, gra- his mercy is more. Like, that God's grace is always greater than all of our sin. But do we see the seriousness of our sin? Do we see the, the depths, ultimately, as in Ephesians 2 tells us, that we're dead in our trespasses. Actually, look at that with me. Look at, look at Ephesians 2. Listen to what Paul, as he's writing, I think he has even these verses probably in mind a little bit. It's a good description in the New Testament for us in Ephesians chapter 2. So in Ephesians 2, um, thank you, yeah, perfect. In Ephesians 2, he says this uh, in writing. Paul says, let me get to the page as well. He says, Verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." What Paul is describing is every single person who's ever been born in this world except for one man, and his name is Jesus, who's the God-man. But every person who's ever lived is completely and utterly dead in their sins. They're dead in their trespasses. They're in the depths of their sin, and there's no way out. They need, they don't need someone to jump in, right? Like, we love community. I love, I mean, that's why we named Redeemer Community. I love community. I think the importance of having someone walk along this journey with you and helping you when you fall to pick you up and to encourage you, but when it comes to your sin condition before a holy God, you don't need someone to jump in the hole with you, because they're already there with you, actually. You don't need them to jump in with you to rescue you or you're both now going to be stuck, right? No, you need someone to get you out. You need a rope. You need a lifeline to get you out of this situation. And Paul is describing here death. Your spiritual condition before God is completely dead. Meaning, guess what? You don't be like, you know, a dead person doesn't be all of a sudden, you know, I want to live. (laughs) I want to get up and walk out of this casket or this grave that I've been in for hundreds of years. Dead people don't move. They're dead. What do they need? They need rescue. Dead people don't figure out God. They don't climb a mountaintop. Dead people stay where they are because they're dead. And he, Paul is saying, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Literally, you're dead to them. You cannot do anything but evil in the sight of God. But here's what it says in verse 4, verse four chapter 2, verse 4. But God But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, not after you cleaned yourself up. You didn't like, you know what, I'm feeling a little dead, but I'm going to slowly, my bones are starting to feel better and stronger, and I'm going to slowly walk towards God. No, 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 no. Don't miss this. This is an important theology. 
This is really important. You are completely and utterly dead in your sin, and you need complete and utter rescue outside of you. You need rescue. You need to be pulled out of. And the first step towards this relationship with God and getting out of it is understanding your need, that you're desperate for God's forgiveness. And you're not just going to cry out for help. You're going to actually, as we're going to see in a second, you're going to cry out for mercy. And so first step, if you, for us to, figure, like, to understand how can I even get forgiveness, it's first understanding that you need forgiveness. There's no path out of it on your own. You need rescue. Understand your need for forgiveness. That's the first step, understanding your need to forgiveness. Here's my question to you really quickly. Do you see your need for God today? Do you see your daily need for Him? Do you see the importance and how, do you have a sense of a desperate need for forgiveness from the Lord? The first step is understanding that you have a need and that you need His forgiveness. The second step on our journey towards forgiveness is this, is recognize the only one who can give it. Recognize the only one who can forgive. Who is that emergency contact for you that you're writing down on that paper? Who are you going to reach out in a desperate moment? But when it comes to your sin condition, there's only one. There's only one person to reach out to, and that is the sovereign creator over all things. And the psalmist recognized that. Look at verse again. And I want you to just see it as the psalm. When, I, when, I, when I've been memorizing it and saying it, you, you catch yourself saying, oh Lord, a bunch of times in this psalm. Because look at it. He says, out of the depths I cried to who? You, O Lord. And then he repeats it. O Lord, hear my voice. And then he says, let your ears, let your ears, God, the, the Lord, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. He's calling out to the Lord because he knows that I can't call out to Abraham. I can't call out to my friend to get me out of my sin condition. I can't call out to a priest, a pastor. I can't call out to anyone. There's no one else who can rescue me from my sin condition and give forgiveness except for one, and his name is the Lord. Only the Lord can forgive. In Matthew 9, look at it with me as well. In Matthew 9, so in the Gospels, the very first Gospel, Matthew, Jesus is on earth. The God-man is on earth. Jesus, the Son of God, is walking on earth, walking with man in the incarnation. What a wonder that is that we get to celebrate year-round, but especially at Christmas time. In Matthew 9, we get this story. It tells us, the, it tells us in verse 2, behold, some, and you get this story in multiple of the Gospels, but in here in Matthew 9, it's pretty concise. It says, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their fate, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. This, this, man, this man is paralyzed. He thinks he needs healing. Like, I want to walk. His friends believe that Jesus can heal their friend. And so the friends, because the paralyzed guy can't get to Jesus. Remember, just like we're talking about with death and sin and our sin debt, we can't get to God. He needed his friends to take him. So his friends in this situation with paralyzed take him to Jesus because they believe he's the only one who can forgive him and can heal him. And look what happens. And when Jesus saw their faith, even he noticed that he saw their faith. This is an interesting story. He sees their faith believing that Jesus can heal. He said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. But notice what happens in verse three. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. 
But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? (laughs) What a difficult question that he just put in front of them. Which is easier? You tell me. (laughs) Healing this guy or forgiving his sins? I mean, they're, they're upset over him forgiving their sins. And notice what he says. But Jesus, knowing their hearts, he says this, which is easier, verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has, notice this, authority on earth to what? Forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, all right, fine, which is harder? I'll do both. Rise and walk. Take up your bed and walk. And immediately this guy rose and went home. And the crowd saw it. They were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Here we see the only one who can forgive is the Lord. And in this psalm, we see that very specifically in verse 6, as Jesus forgives here. But I want you to see something. Notice in verse, in, in, back in our text in, in, in Psalm 130. Excuse my voice today. It's, it's been gone a little bit this week. So in Psalm 130. In verse 3, he says, if you, again, notice this, O Lord, there's already like our third or fourth time of O Lord coming in. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, again, O Lord, who could stand? Notice this idea of marking iniquities. In In the Hebrew, and what this marking of iniquities is like a record of wrongs. And if you, if you know, if you've ever been uh, in, in uh, a wedding ceremony yourself or you've been a part of one, oftentimes you'll, you'll hear 1 Corinthians 13 written at a, a ceremony or read at a ceremony because it talks about, it's the love chapter in scripture. And so it talks about all about love in it. And one aspect of love is not keeping a record of wrongs. Like, like you know, when we think about in a marriage though, right? What happens really easily? It's so easy. It's easy in any relationship. We keep a record of wrongs. Like, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, like, hey, like, I forgive your brother, I forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. You know, you'll get that phrase, forgive and not forget. Like, I'm going to keep it in my back pocket, and I'm going to, it's going to help keep a little wall between me and you, just in case if you do it again. And so, in, in marriage counseling and different things that I've had, you know, you'll, you'll be meeting with a couple, and, and they've, they've wrestled with some serious uh, relational issues and conflict, and where uh, a husband, or uh, usually the husband, of course, you know, right? But the husband has uh, been uh, said harsh, harsh things, or said different things, or either way, and 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 there's been uh, sin in that marriage, and there's been a broken relationship through that. And so, in the counseling, you're talking to them, and you're talking about it, and you're and you're, hey, hey, like, look, they're one of, they want to move forward, and it's like, all right, the best way to move forward is like, let's start with the, what we use, the phrase we would use is a clean slate, right? All right, we're gonna start with a clean slate, like. Wipe the marker board clean. We're starting from today moving forward. And it's like, all right, let's meet in a couple weeks again. And so sure enough, you meet with the couple in a couple weeks. And, and the, spouse, the spouse comes in and is like, man, I, I, tr- I tried really hard. And then the other spouse sitting there just defeated because it's like, man, he or she brought up this, this, and this against me again. You know, it's like, it's that when you do something wrong, and then it's like, that wasn't really the main thing. It was the 20 things that happened before it that led to this explosion of anger. You see, in this moment, you know, like we want to start with a a clean slate. But here, what the psalmist is saying, he's saying, the reason I'm crying out to you, O Lord, and you're the only one who can, is because, here's what he's saying in verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Like, if God kept a record, think about this in your life, in my life, if God kept a record of every single one of your sins, a little whiteboard, or a very, very, very large whiteboard, 
And he just started keeping the record of all of your sins. Do you think any single person could ever stand? And what it means when he's saying stand, he's referring to stand against God's judgment, his wrath, his punishment for sin. If God was to keep, he says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, you know, if you could keep a record of iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The point is this, no one could stand against God's judgment. God's wrath is coming against all unrighteousness, and there is no one who can withstand that. I remember when I was in college, at one of the, we had a lot, several hurricanes the year that I met Amanda. It was my senior year of college in Florida, and we were in Clearwater. And it was in like 2004, and that year there was like a bunch of them. You could like, Wikipedia tells you like how many hurricanes came through Florida that year. It was crazy. And we evacuated all these different times, and the one time we don't evacuate, of course, the thing goes right over top of us. <laughs> and so sure enough, it comes right over campus, and I was uh, in a staff position at the time my senior year, and so uh, responsible in taking care of these other college students. Why they would put another college student responsible for other college students who knows but anyways they did with me and so I had to go to the cafeteria to get food and go out against that wind and so like just pushing the door open to open the door to get outside was crazy and it's like push the door you finally get it and it slams behind you and then you're just like running trying to go against this wind to get to the cafeteria to grab some of the the food and help bring food over to where everyone was kind of sheltering in place in the uh, in the gymnasium area and, and so I, we get there, and I mean, like, there's, like, there's like shingles flying. I'm like, why did they send me out here? I didn't sign any waiver or anything. This is crazy. And so, but sure enough, I mean, like, the, the force of that wind was so strong. And, but it was like, I mean, it was like a category. I don't even know if it was a full category one at the time it got to us. Can you imagine, though, going out in the middle of a tornado, and it's coming towards you? You're not you. I don't get, it doesn't matter how big you are. You're not withstanding the strength of that tornado. I mean, that's a tornado that's ultimately <laughs> by the hand of God. God controls all things. Do you think that you can withstand the wrath of God by being pretty good, by being a decent person, being good contributor to society, being, as David was saying earlier, talking about someone's tombstone, the best accountant to ever live. You know, like, do you think that's going to matter before a holy God? That was not David saying that about himself, by the way. He was talking about someone else. <laughs> he definitely does not say that or think that, I don't think. So, but, but the point being is this, like, you might be thinking that, oh, man, like, I can, I, I mean, like, I'm a pretty good person. I can withstand God's wrath because, I mean, it's like, hey, it'll take out all the other people, the really bad people. No. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? His point is no one can withstand the wrath and the judgment of God. It is coming, and it will destroy you. It will run over you. But the psalmist continues, and he says in verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness. I can't think of too many better but statements in Scripture when it's a transition from, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, God, who could stand? None of us could stand, but with you there is forgiveness. You see, the psalmist now, he understands his, his desperate needs, so he's crying out of the depths. He's crying out to the only one. He knows, I need to cry out to the Lord. It is the Lord who can forgive, so he cries out to him. And what is his cry? I think this is really fascinating in this passage. What is his cry? And it's right here, and it's in your notes. It's a cry out for mercy. 
He's crying out for mercy. Interesting. He doesn't cry out for help. He doesn't say, come help me, rescue me, say, like, bring, get me out of this, like, or he doesn't cry for justice. Because I think most of us, we feel like, maybe, maybe some people feel they're, they're very, they've been, there's been injustice against them, and there is a lot of injustice in our world. We are a broken people, dead in our sins. As a, a, as a whole, when you look at the society and the seven billion plus people who live on this planet, there's lots of injustice, there's brokenness. But in this moment, he's not like, Hey, 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 Lord, I'm trapped here. Like, do you see? Like, everything's go- not going my way, God. Like, will you be just and pull me out? Like, I need, I mean, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm a good person. I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. So let me, let me, let me, hey, help, help, come here. Like, or, or like, will you just bring justice? Like, I, I don't deserve this, God. Like, I deserve rescue. I deserve your rescue. I'm a pretty good person. I contribute to society. I'm not in prison or anything. I haven't done any crazy things. You see, his cry is not for, for justice, but it's for mercy. He's, Don't give me what I deserve, because he recognizes he deserves to stay in the depths of his sin condition. He recognizes I deserve it. So Lord, be merciful. I think David, uh, in Psalm 51, one of the greatest passages of Scripture that you could pray to the Lord is the prayer of David after his sin with Bathsheba, after he'd committed adultery and committed murder, and he had broken so much things and as, as the king and the leader of Israel and God's chosen one to lead the nation. He had sinned against God, he had, consented, he had sinned against people, but in his prayer, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, of course, he sinned against uh, Bathsheba's husband. Of course, she, he had sinned against Bathsheba. Of course, he had sinned against all these other ones, but ultimately, he had sinned against a holy, righteous God, and so in that moment, he's crying out, and he says, and, and, what he, and what David cries out for in Psalm 51 is very similar to this. He's crying out for mercy. He says, he starts it. If you look at Psalm 51, you don't have to turn there necessarily, but you can if you want. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He doesn't say, according to what I'm doing, God, I'm, I'm cleaning myself up. I, I want to I fix myself. I don't want to live in that stuff anymore. I'm, I'm going I'm to clean myself up and I'm going to be right. I'm going to try to make myself right with you again. No, in that moment, he's saying, I can't make my right. Ultimately, he says towards the end of Psalm 51, like, (laughs) sacrifices are great and all, but what's more important is a contrite heart. A heart that says, I have sinned against you, God, and you're the only one who can rescue, and so please be merciful to me. Don't give me what I deserve, because I know I deserve it. The psalmist is crying out for mercy. Here's the question. How do we tend to go about dealing with our guilt? Maybe it's denial or rationalization. We rationalize it, right? We rationalize a a choice we made, a sin that we were tempted in and we pursued. Maybe it's comparison. You compare yourself to others and you look around and you're like, I'm not as bad as this person. I'm not as bad as that person. And so you look around and you're like, all right, I'm actually not that bad of a person. I'm, I'm at church today. You know who's in here at church today? We compare ourselves. We deny it. We rationalize it. This psalmist is saying, "Mm -mm. I'm in the depths, I'm in the despair, 
I'm in the sin condition. My guilt is ever before me. And so in this moment, I'm crying out to you, O Lord, for, for mercy. It's a cry for mercy. But here's the reality is this. Forgiveness comes. It's not cheap. Forgiveness isn't cheap. It's not easily just given. God doesn't say, sure, forgiven, sweet. All's good, you know? You know how you do that with a friend, maybe? You, know, you see, like, it's like, I remember in, like, elementary school, I got a, like, a, th- like, got upset with a friend of mine and, like, threw his head into the wall. And, like, <laughs> and then, like, the next day, we're like, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> like, high fives. Like, we wrestled a little bit the day before, and then, like, oh, all's good. We're great. Like, no, it probably wasn't all great. <laughs> he was probably still pretty upset. His head got hit in the wall. Um, but you'll act like it maybe with friends. They're like, oh, all's forgiven. Everything's great. No, we're good. Especially the South. We can kind of just minimize it. Like, I don't want to be confrontational, so we'll just be like, yeah, everything's great. Everything's good. You see, the psalmist recognizes that sin actually comes, and forgiveness comes at a great cost. Because ultimately, this, the payment for sin is death. And it should be your death, and it should be my death. And so the reason he's crying out for mercy is because there's only one who has, can withstand and has taken on the wrath of God. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 21, I like to say, I say this all the time. You guys have probably heard me say it all the time. I'm like, oh, this is my favorite verse. <laughs> I feel like I say that every week. This is another one of my favorite verses. Um, but in 2 Corinthians 5, I want to read it to you. Because the reason that we, can, we need to cry out for mercy is because we have a merciful God, but that merciful God and that forgiveness that is offered and, and given is because someone had to pay the price for your sin. And listen to what 2 Corinthians, Paul writing here says. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he says, For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is called the great exchange. God, this this is, this makes absolutely no sense. That the God of the universe would say, here, I'm gonna gonna make you a trade, right? My kids like trading and those kind of things. They got their little trading cards and all those kind of things. They wanna make a trade and, um, and, and as they're making those trades, they want it to be fair, right? Like, like how, and, and we do that with sports. Like, if they're going to trade athletes and people. We want a fair, good trade. Like, it's, like, you can't just steal our best player and give us your worst player. Like, it's not going to work, right? But with God in this passage and what we see in what was called the great exchange, we, here's what we get out of this exchange. Jesus takes our sin. We give him our sin. Here you go. You get my mess. We get your righteousness, that is not a fair trade. That is the most unfair trade in the history of mankind. And the unfair trade is we're the ones who are getting the benefit. We get the benefit of Christ's righteousness. Listen to what it says. For our sake, he, talking about Jesus, made him, or God, made him, to, and talking about Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The only way to forgiveness is through payment for sin. And either you're going to pay it for, for all of eternity, 
The punishment for your sin is eternal death. And so you can pay it. If you want to choose to pay your sin, on your, you're like, you know what? I don't need God's help. I'll pay it myself. You can pay it yourself. But you know how you're going to pay it? You're going to pay it for eternity in hell apart from him. Never to get out. That's how you'll pay for your sin. That's option one. Option two is Jesus has already paid the price for your sin. He has taken and he has bared the wrath that he's taken on the weight. There's this amazing uh, theological word called propitiation. It, is, is, it means this. It's like God, that Jesus sat when he's a propitiator. When he, and that's the word actually in the Hebrew we get uh, in this, um, this passage in Psalm 130 again. And what, what the psalmist is saying is that he has forgiven. And what is this? What is this, word, what is this idea of propitiation? It's this. It's like he has satisfied the wrath of God. That Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. God's wrath is coming because he cannot let sin go unpunished. But here's the beautiful truth is Jesus comes and he says, I am standing in, in his place. So here's the thing. When you sin as a follower of Jesus, if you have cried out to him and to save your soul. Out of the depths, I've cried out to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. And you, he does. He hears your voice. And when you cry out to him by faith, he receives you and he, gives, he offers and gives you mercy where you don't receive, deserve mercy. And in his giving you mercy and giving you grace, he forgives you. But he's not forgiving you because of what you've done. He's forgiving you because of what he has done. This is why I love 1 John 1, 9. Do you know what 1 John 1, 9 says? If we confess our sins. So this is to the believer. 1 John is written to the believer. So post-salvation, you're now a follower of Jesus. Guess what? You don't, you're not perfect. I think we all know that. We're not perfect. We sin. But here's the promise of that verse. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, here's what it tells us. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. When we confess our sins, it's not like he is going to say, oh, this guy, he's, he, he's, he's on the right path. He deserves forgiveness. No, why is he faithful and just to forgive? Because the justice of God has been already satisfied, propitiation, in Jesus' death on the cross. Because he has died, he's already paid the price. So when, when, when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see the, if you're a follower of Jesus, when he looks at you, he doesn't see the sin and the, the brokenness, he sees Christ in your place. That is the great exchange. You get his righteousness, he takes on your sin. And so it's a cry for mercy. And this is only received and are given through the payment for sin in Jesus' death on the cross. Fourth point is this, last one is this, is, see, is to seek daily renewal through a healthy fear of the Lord. Look back at Psalm 130. The psalmist says, I'm gonna just quote it again. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is, notice this, there, but with you there is forgiveness. There actually is forgiveness. Notice the next. So there is forgiveness. Why? What's the so that or therefore why? So that, or it says here, that you may be feared. So here's the path, right? The path is you understand your desperate need for forgiveness. And here's what you do. You cry out to the only one who can give you forgiveness. And he gives you forgiveness. And then here's that step. It's that continual seeking 
daily a renewal through a healthy fear of the Lord. So he gives, he offers forgiveness. We receive that forgiveness, but it comes, and what comes with that is it's a really a fruit of forgiveness. This is what should be evident in all of our lives is that we have a proper view of who God is. It's a healthy fear of the Lord. I love uh, what Tucker and Grant in their NIV commentary said. Uh, it was a really good quote, and I thought, I thought it was appropriate. He said, they said this, forgiveness does not enable us to serve God better. Like, okay, I've been forgiven, so now I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to give him my all. He says, forgiveness does not enable us to serve God better. Forgiveness enables us to, they say this, see God better. We have a better understanding and see him more clearly and we get to know who he is and what he is like. We get to see God better. You see, fear for God, what is that? I talked about it a little bit last week. I want to talk a little bit about now and then end our time together. Fear of God, what is it? Fear of God is this. It's a, it's a grieving over the thought of offending someone. The thought of like, it's more of like a grieving type of turn. It's not, a, it's not like I'm terrified. For instance, like you can be fearful of the police, right? Like you can be driving down the road and you're going 15 over and you see a police officer and you're like, ah, you get that feeling in your, your spine and that foot goes off the gas pedal really quickly. You're scared to like push the pedal too hard. You're like, got to kind of coast into this one a little bit. Maybe he won't notice that I'm slowing down as his clock is going <laughs> watching your speed go down. You know, you might be like, oh no, you but you don't, you don't fear that, you, you, fear that, you fear that police officer and what he can do. Like, he's going to give me a ticket, potentially. He could potentially take my license away if I was going crazy or whatever. Like, you fear him in that way, but you don't fear a broken relationship with that police officer. Like, man, he's now not going to have a good view of me anymore. He and I were close there for a bit because <laughs> we get to know each other frequently. Like, man, you're not, you're not grieving the loss of a relationship through your poor choice on that day of driving too fast. You're not worried about breaking that relationship because it's not about a relationship with you. You're just fearful of the punishment. This is what this, the psalmist is getting at, when it, and this is really the theme of Scripture when it talks about the fear of the Lord. And ultimately, I would say this is a requirement and means it comes by grace to us through genuine, authentic faith in Christ alone for salvation. You're given a proper fear of the Lord. And so fear of God is not like this police, police officer. A fear of the Lord is, is, is really asking this, do you long for him? to please him, to obey him. This comes through the gospel that Jesus has paid the price of your sin and is ready and willing to forgive your sin. And this forgiveness leads you to a healthy fear of him. Your fear of God is really the fruit of genuine uh, repentance. It's a change. Charles Spurgeon is called the prince of, prince, prince of, prince of preachers for a reason. Um, he's a, a Baptist preacher, um, across the pond, we'd say, over in England, and um, I wish, I wish we had audio of his sermons, because when you read them, you can like hear the fire, you can hear the passion, the love for the Lord, and really, he could, no one could say, I don't think, could say it better than what he says about the fear of the Lord, so I wanted to give you this quote as we, as we close. He says this, no fear, none fear the Lord like those who have experienced his forgiving love. Gratitude for pardon produces far more, far more fear and reverence of God than all the dread which is inspired by punishment. If the Lord were to execute justice upon all, there would be none left to fear him. 
If all were under apprehension of his deserved wrath, despair would harden them against fearing him. He says this, it is grace which leads the way to a holy regard of God and a fear of grieving him. This is what the psalmist understands about God. He's in the depths. He sees, his, he sees himself in the proper way, that apart from God, he is filthy rags, that he is doomed, and he's in the depths, and there's only one way out, so he cries to the only one who can. He cries out specifically, not just for like justice, like, hey, be just, God, like, I'm not that bad, right? No, he cries out for mercy. He cries out to mercy because he's the only one who can forgive, because in Christ, Jesus has paid the price for our sins, and it is only by grace. And this kind of grace is what Charles Spurgeon is saying. It is this grace which leads the way to a, a healthy, I'm now putting my own statement on it, a healthy fear of the Lord, a proper, holy regard of God, and a fear of grieving Him. Like, the thought of a, a relationship, a loved one that you have, the thought of hurting them, that's the kind of fear, a fear of, I don't want to lose this relationship. I love you. And my sin breaks that. And so we need his daily renewal through, and that happens, and we do it through a healthy fear of the Lord, a relationship, a proper view of who God is and what he has done for you. So my question is this, is ultimately is this, and it's how Richard Sibbs remarked. He said, the way to cover our sin is to uncover it by confession. Maybe you've been living in a cloud of darkness of private sin. Maybe you've been living in the muck. Maybe you're really not genuinely following Jesus. Maybe you've just been kind of playing the part, maybe for a long, long time. Or, may, or maybe you have, and then yet you see that you've been kind of breaking that relationship. Do you have a healthy fear of the Lord? Do you, do you grieve over breaking... <laughs> God's law? Do you grieve over the thought of breaking that relationship? Not like a police officer and like, oh man, the punishment, avoiding the punishment. I fear God's punishment. No. Do you fear the loss of God? Do you love him with all your heart? I mean, what I would say is do the psalmist says. There's one of the great things that you can do if you're learning how to pray is pray the psalms. Pray a psalm like this one. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Why? That you may be feared. Let me pray.